You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where every episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. She was physically forgotten, but then she slipped into my pocket with my car keys. She said, you've taken me for granted because I please you. Wearing these diamonds And I could say As if everybody knows what I'm talking about As if everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about I'm talking about diamonds on the soles of a shoe This episode will be talking about Paul Simon Graceland. On the line I have Rob. Boy howdy. Ben. Whoo. And Kyle. Hello. Graceland is the seventh studio album by the American singer-songwriter Paul Simon. It was released on August 25th, 1986 by Warner Brother Records uh, and produced by Paul Simon. The genre is world beat, pop, rock, folk. And I'm going to read from All Music Review, William Ruhlman. With Graceland, Paul Simon hit on the idea of combining his always perceptive songwriting with the light-hearted Mbenkwaga music of South Africa, creating a fascinating hybrid that re-enchanted his old audience and earned him a new one. It is true that South Africa angle, including its controversial aspect during the apartheid days, was a powerful marketing tool and that the catchy music succeeded in presenting listeners with a magical combination, something they'd never heard before that nevertheless sounded familiar. As eclectic as any record Paul Simon had made, it has also delved into Zydeco, Tex-Mex, and rock and roll while marketing a surprising new lyrical approach. For the most part, Simon abandoned a linear narrative approaching to his words, instead drawing highly poetic, abstract, and satirical portraits of modern life, often charged by striking images and turns of phrase torn from the headlines or overheard in contemporary speech. An enormous successful record, Graceland became the standard against which subsequent musical experiments by major artists were measured. All right, what do we think of Paul Simon, Graceland? Uh, Graceland by Paul Simon, I think, is the best album by one of my very favorite recording uh, artists. I love Paul Simon, and I think that Graceland's his, his masterwork. Yeah, I would say I, I love this record. Probably his best record. I mean, that I've heard. Mm-hmm. At least as a solo artist. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah I'm not thinking about Simon Garfunkel. I, it, it'd be up there. It'd be up there for those. I'd put it right up there with like Bookends, Bridge Over Troubled Water. You okay. know, but yeah, but I, I'm way into Graceland, controversy and all, warts and all. Yeah. I, I, I'm way into Graceland. I think that's something that's really interesting to think about, too, because obviously at the time, you know, there was a boycott to work within South Africa because of apartheid and and uh, but just listening to the music, it's, you know, if you can separate yourself from the politics of that, then it's a great album. And that's kind of what Paul Simon was saying as well. Like he, he talked it over with a. Uh... He he was talking to Quincy Jones and Belafonte, I think, at the We Are the World, the World. recording mm-hmm. session. Yeah, R.I.P. Talk- Harry Belafonte. R.I.P. Harry Belafonte, and he was talking to them about what he what what he wanted to do, and they 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 both uh, encouraged him to do it. And 
so he he wasn't working at all with the the South African government, which which was what the protests were against. You know, mm-hmm. he was working, he was like cutting cutting out the middleman and working directly with the musicians. So you know, it, it's still it's still definitely an iffy gray area. He's still it's still apartheid area era South Africa, and he's still there working against uh, against like a, a, an embargo by his peers. Sure. But but he's working with the the actual individuals, he, and he and he's paying them exponentially so much more that than like than like top New York City studio musicians for hourly, hourly rates. And I don't know. I think the music speaks for itself. And then you know, there's more controversy with like plagiarism and stuff like that. Sure. But th- this album's steeped in controversy. But it's so good. It's just so good. I don't know. Yeah, was, I mean, do, you... do, do people agree with me on that, or do people have different opinions? I do. I was. It's just fucking weird. It, it's weird that um, let's 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 walk this back. I enjoy this record, but I have I don't like I, I have issues with the record specifically because of '80s movie soundtracks of this time that took oh. that bass tone mm-hmm. and like bass line from I guess what was it? Um, uh, diamonds on the soles of her shoes, and mm-hmm. it was like every mm-hmm. fucking like rom-com or or anything like that, that was coming out like it's specifically my blue heaven is what it reminds me of um <laughs> which is which is a weird but like yeah just like there's a weird nostalgia thing that kind of bothers me uh, about it no no, no. Uh, pa- paul simon uh crossing the apartheid lines i believe probably brought it down a little bit faster because it draw drew more attention to the crisis than a simple boycott would have that said, it's real weird that he threw Linda Ronstadt on a song. It <laughs> is weird that under he... African skies because she straight up was a fucking like uh, scab. She like, played going Sun, over she, there. She, she played Sun City. Yeah, fucking uh, gross, man. Have, like, have you ever gross. heard that 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 song that all the artists are on called "We Won't Play Sun City"? Well, Linda Ronstadt played Sun City. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't hear that song. It's, it's, it's. I think it's credited to Steve, little Stephen Van Zant and the Disciples of Soul, I believe. But I think it's like little Stephen Van Zant and a bunch of his famous friends doing an okay, mediocre rock song. But basically, it's just to raise awareness. And the song's called "We Won't Play Sun City," and it's all about how they won't play Sun City. But yeah, Linda Ronstadt absolutely played Sun City. Sun City is the South African resort. That was kind of like, like the, the it it kind of was like it, it was like where a lot of the apartheid era like se- segregated audiences and stuff came to a head was at this rich tourist resort where a lot of the white tourists would go where artists could play and the and the tourists would sit in a segregated crowd the South Africans were not welcome there and artists would be paid would be paid a lot Linda Ronstadt included. So yeah, the, the, during the anti-apartheid movement, there was a big push to stop playing this resort. But uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I was also very surprised to hear her involvement in that, and then also to hear her on this album. I didn't know previous to this week her involvement with with playing at Sun City. Yeah, I don't know if there's a parallel to be drawn between this and like the uh, artists that go over and like it's it's. It's not that far reaching, but it kind of is like uh, that it would go over and play like Qatar like right now or like the, uh, the like Saudi Arabia, like just where there's like huge uh, like injustices being done to uh, well, specifically here would be ladies. But, uh, you know, 
and in, in, in this case, it's just the segre- or the the apartheid state, um, and then just kind of not knowing like that. Oh, this paycheck uh, is actually harming someone. Like I, I don't know if there's. Yeah, there, there could be. A I don't lot have of... enough coffee in me for this. <laughs> I'm working on <laughs> <Sorry>. it. Sorry. <laughs> like speaking specifically to to Linda Ronset, someone whose career is that big at that point, it, it, arguably there there could be like a lot of layers of separation between her receiving her paycheck and her actually knowing where the knowing the, the politics of it. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I don't know that much about it. I, I could give her benefit of the doubt until, until I learn more until I, I could read tomorrow that like Quincy Jones called her up and said, don't do it. And she did it anyway. But, right. I, but I don't know that. You know? Yeah. I would hope right. that at least Paul Simon, he knew by going there, obviously because he, spoke with you know Belafonte um he knew it would be poorly received right and I think at that point he he needs to at least address it in a you know a statement or put something on the album you know just Mm -hmm. just kind of like address the situation and being like look this is an opportunity that I want to do and hate me if you do but I'm I'm I really want to do this X, Are you y, talking about going to you, going to South Africa or recording yeah. with Linda Ronstadt? Uh, either, either yeah. ones. You know, um, I mean, it, it at least be I, I feel like upfront and and say your reasons. Maybe people don't like them. Maybe people people don't care. But it, at least you know, admit to what oh. you're doing because he he obviously knew he would be criticized for it, right? Also, like that, he was taking advantage. His his last two albums with Warner Brothers were not very successful. Like Heart and Bones, which we covered, mm-hmm. and another one, like post post Simon and Garfunkel, pre Graceland, Paul Simon was not being like his label was not really caring what he was doing at that time, right? And he was taking that to his advantage. He's like, I'm going to go to South Africa, and they're not even going to give a shit, right? And they didn't, you know, they they were like, yeah. what, what whatever, Paul. Let's continue not talking about that. Yeah, record. I was going to say, let's get um, into some of the songs. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, I was just uh, going to say, you know, he, he's following in the hallowed footsteps of uh, Malcolm McLaurin. So, you know, right? he's, he's definitely onto something. Right down to the Boyoyo boys. <laughs> right this down is, to it. Except he, except he paid them. So that, that's like the big deal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, please, let's talk about the song. Yeah, so was this was this anybody's first time with this record or was it just me? Oh, no. 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 Oh, um, Kyle, I'm yeah, so happy, though. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, Kyle. Uh, I, I I'm aware of a lot of I was aware of a lot of the, the tracks, but I never sat down and listened to it front to back. Rob, I just wanted to touch on that that bass tone you were talking about because I I agree uh, that bass tone is so weird. Outside of the context of this album, that bass tone is horrendous, and <laughs> but somehow <laughs> yes, some, somehow within the confines of this album, it's entirely acceptable to me. <laughs> like I don't know why and. I also thought it was interesting, like the, the bass player on this, I don't know if he's on every track, but the majority, when you're thinking about the, the Graceland bass lines, you're thinking about uh, uh, Bakifi Kumalo, the South African bass player. He had that that fretless neck. He's doing all those like mm-hmm. runs and stuff. And so one day, once I learned that it's actually, it's a South African uh, bassist playing bass all over this album, I stopped thinking that the bass lines and the bass tone on Graceland was I, I always thought of just like I always saw it just like 80s studio bass, but maybe it's South African bass tone and mm-hmm. the success of this album kind of just made that spread into other 80s studio albums. 
One hundred percent. This you is know? the birth of eighty eighty studio base. <laughs> coming coming hot from South F. Thank you, Bakithi. <laughs> yeah, I specifically remember the song uh, "Call Me Out" being in like every like action comedy trailer of the late nineteen eighties. <laughs> like do 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 do, like a lady walks by in bikini and somebody jumps into a bush with a gun. You know, yeah. like. <laughs> As as a young child in '86, I thought "Call Me Al" was the coolest song in the world. Especially yeah. watching the music video with with with, with Paul Simon and Chevy Chase, uh, Chevy Chase lip syncing Paul Simon's parts. As a child, I thought that was so cool. It was my favorite Paul Simon song. It's probably the song that turned me on to Paul Simon. As a young adult, and well, not even young adult, as like a thirty year old, that uh, when I got the album, I loved the rest of the album, and I kind of thought that "Call Me Al" was just like kind of just very cheesy spread on very thick but then 10 years later as a 40 year 40 year old i'm listening to call me out again and like the lyrics about like the midlife crisis and looking for something different i've kind of come back around on it now i just like yeah. now i like it again you know yeah. i think we're far enough separated from when it was used like used for so many things commercials yeah. and that that we can finally like see it as it as its own thing as a song i know when it came on though uh, i mean i've listened to this album you know, dozens of times, but when it came on this week and I was listening to it, I was like, I instantly got like a flashback or something like, it's like when you're remembering a dream or something. Yeah. It's wild. A man walks down the street, he says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle of rest of my life is so hard I need a photo opportunity I want a shot of redemption Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard Bone digger, bone digger uh, I did think it was cool that they they said that they edited and they recorded on digital technology um, transferring like all the analog tapes to digital this time because the amount of editing was like unbelievable with all these different players and all these different people and it would have been kind of impossible to do without the like new digital technology which makes sense absolutely i Mm -hmm. saw i saw a short interview with paul simon from like maybe 20 years ago talking about it and he's sitting at a mixing board and yeah they did all the recordings in south africa uh they did them in like two weeks and they were just in a small studio like a garage space and no one was wearing headphones everyone's like facing each other making eye contact and they're recording all of these all of these like uh, South African ensemble pieces. And then Paul Simon takes those recordings, takes them back to the U S converts them from analog to digital. And then he kind of, he goes to work making Graceland and what, what he's doing with a lot of these parts, like say like with like the, the organ at the beginning or not organ, the uh, accordion at the beginning of boy in the bubble or like the, the horn stabs in a different part, he's taking those sounds and he's isolating them and he's thickening them and layering them. Like he'll take that exact accordion part, he'll double it on like a clavinet or something, and he'll mix it way low into the mix. So your 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 ears are still just your ears are interpreting it as accordion, but it sounds thicker than an accordion. And he does that to so many of these so many of these sounds and tones on the album. He's just taking that stuff that he found like these. They're not field recordings, but he's taking these like recordings and just like enhancing them, thickening them. I think it's cool. Yeah, the only thing I have about Call Me Al is that it used to be uh, back in the the bad old days. It was uh, Sheila's go to for drunk driving around drunk. 
Wait, what? Yeah, no, this is her drunk driving song. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, know I, why. I do have a memory of my brother putting on the diamonds on the soles of her shoes um, to drive to the beach. Like, we're just driving that's to what's the beach. That's what's up, though. Yeah, oh. yeah. I was like, that's a pretty good song, driving to the beach. Yeah, Actually, this you... entire album probably be were you driving to Indiana Beach? Michigan. Ooh. Ooh. Great, the great ah, place. yes. Michigan City, Indiana. The, du- no. the dunes. <laughs> I have been to Michigan City, but no. Uh, up close to, uh, you know, Manistee. Up north of that. Ooh, I love Manistee. I love, I love north of Manistee. Yeah, yeah. that area is great. Yeah. We're listening to Call Me Al right now. I learned this week that Al and Betty are actually Paul Simon and his wife Peggy. They were at a dinner party with uh, uh, with uh, French composer Pierre Boulet, and he was calling. He he was just getting their names wrong, calling them Al and Betty instead of Paul and Peggy. So, <laughs> so that's where that came from. I thought that was really funny. His lyrics. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know if these are good lyrics or not. Like Boy in the Bubble, and uh, what's the second one? Uh, Graceland. Graceland. No, Graceland. I love fine. the yeah, lyrics yeah. to Graceland. Sorry, sorry. Boy in the oh, Bubble. Oh man. I, I was just like, there's lasers in the jungle, and like, there's a bomb just, strapped to a baby carriage. Yeah, it's just he's just like pulling out these different headlines from newspapers, or I mean, it was said that he he just kept those yellow pads of paper around, and he would just write down uh, random words and phrases, uh, and then he would like adapt them to to make an album. So it's it's a little that's been scattered. His, yeah, I know he's done his it method his, enti- his entire career. Uh, Get these mutts away from me. <laughs> Mr. Beer Belly. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 historically he rarely writes autobiographically. He normally writes about characters and normally these characters are inspired either by like people here over or conversations she'll overhear or like headlines he'll see, which I it's another thing I thought was interesting about Graceland. Because there's, he's still writing from characters, but there's certain songs in here where you can tell that the character is him. Uh, yeah. Call Me Out. The third verse of Call Me Out. The first two verses are a guy going through a midlife crisis. The third verse, he finds himself in a strange country with a strange sound. That's Paul Simon, dude. Yeah. You know, like or even Graceland. Like she, uh, she call, She comes back to tell me she's gone, as if I didn't know that, as if I didn't know my own bed, as if I didn't know the way she brushes her hair from her forehead. That's about Carrie Fisher, who was he was breaking up with at the time. You know, like I find Graceland more. He's still writing from characters, but I find it more autobiographical than than previous Paul Simon records. I don't I mean, think Dun- some, Duncan's not Paul Simon. Yeah, sometimes actually, uh, he's a I don't know a little bit ahead of the curve. That that whole lasers in the jungle thing, uh, the way that they're mapping out the uh, the old like uh, Mayan and. Uh, yeah, my, my in trade routes uh, are using LIDAR from above, oh. shining down lasers in the jungle. And you can see the entire, like, this is how, this is the empire. Like, this is these are the roads that went everywhere. And oh, that's can, crazy. Uh, I totally thought you were going to yeah, talk man, about Predator. I thought you were going to talk about Congo. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> Those really are lasers up, in guys. the jungle. <laughs> I, 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 went with, I went with the real thing. You should really look that up. It, it's it's fa- fascinating. Also, you should watch Congo. That's one of the best <laughs> movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Isn't there like a bomb and a baby carriage in the Untouchables at some point, or is yeah. there just a baby carriage? Yeah. Well, there's just a baby yeah. carriage, you know. Yeah. Thanks to Palma. It's wired to the radio. <laughs> so, my first listen to this record, I'd never heard it before. Um, dorky? I thought it was Dorky. Yeah, it's Dorky. Oh yeah, um, it's Dorky. 
Yeah. But then I, every time I listened to it after that, I, I liked it a whole bunch more. Um, but yeah, my, my first note is dorky. Cause I think <laughs> it starts off with like an accordion. I was like, Oh boy. I love that. Hey, it starts off on. with the accordion though. I Sorry, Rob. It, 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 it sets, it sets the tone. And then it, and it then it brings it back near the end because the accordion it, it's used in the, like the South African sessions, and then you've got the reco- the accordion in uh, his, the Zydeco song that was your mother. It's kind of just like bringing it all back home. I like it. Yeah, and we, I I know we've covered a lot of those um, Hugo Maslika and and some of those other African artists, but at the time, you know, no one was picking up those albums, right? By South African or African Mary artists. Michaela? Uh, well, maybe, maybe some of hers, but I, I was talking about some of the other, uh, yeah. um, artists that we were covering. And so I feel like Graceland is really that bridge. I mean, even, <clears throat> even Malcolm McLaren, you know, isn't Paul Simon, right? Like Paul Simon whoa, whoa, is, whoa, 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 what? is huge. And so <laughs> he is bridging Record the scratch. gap. And, and, and Put really on, call me out. <laughs> I feel like. He was the equivalent of like Crocodile Dundee into like Aussie fandom of the eighties. Okay, as well. yeah. He mm-hmm. he he brought in the like, oh okay, yeah. We want to hear this music, and I think to your point, Rob, that probably did help spur a little bit more interest in, oh, what's going on in South Africa? Like Graceland is is this music I'm hearing on the radio, but now I hear about apartheid, and you know, he might have you know made himself a, a bit of a martyr in, in that way of saying i broke this this down and to and and he's getting more attention for it i don't know to combine like yeah like the 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 audibles of uh, of hearing this music on the radio to just like the stunning visuals of like cuz he brought lady smith black mombazo over to the us for like it, for his snl performance and also i think to record diamonds on the soles of her shoes cuz he hadn't recorded that yet in South Africa. He uh, they, he brought them back to to the states to record that one. And while they were here, yeah, he did, he recorded the music video for it. That's uh, filmed in a soundstage, the SNL performance. And if you haven't seen it, I'm just like imagining it's like sitting on a couch at at 11:30 p.m. in 1986 and seeing Paul McCartney with Lady Smith Black Mombazo. Like there's eight or ten of them. They're doing these awesome harmonies and and they have this really cool like choreographed dance where like kicking up the feet showing the soles of the shoes and just like the the visual combined com, combined with the, the audio of it is i can't i can't imagine seeing anything like it from a couch in warsaw indiana at the time you know it's, it's, it's really cool yeah and this uh this predates lethal weapon being released which was the first time that i recognized that apartheid was wrong uh <laughs> yeah. based on a sticker on the refrigerator <laughs> oh yeah i remember that or the apartheid existed yeah yeah there, there you go R- richard donner good job bud i got a punk rock compilation in the mid 90s and there was a band on it called janitors against the apartheid and i didn't know what that was and that was when i learned what the apartheid was yeah oh. I, think, I think we're yeah. all a little too young for yeah to know what was going on <laughs> I, mean, uh, I really learned about it in lethal weapon too though that yeah that's when they <laughs> yeah that, that's when it was solved, much like uh, <laughs> okay. Rocky ending uh, ending communism. In yeah, Rocky yeah. <laughs> so American exceptionalism, baby. <laughs> there's there's some claims of plagiarism on this album. Uh, let's let's get into that a little bit. Multiple I'll claims. Say. So it's kind of it's 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 in the back side of the album. It's in more of the American recording side of the album. It seems like he doesn't really have 
that much beef with the South African recording artists. I know they were, they were all paid. It seems sounds like the beef comes from the last two tracks. Uh, that, uh, track 10, that was your mother. That is the Zydeco band, Good Rock and Dopsy and the Twisters. Great name. He heard them perform. And I think he, he it, it, the turnaround was really quick. Like, it's like he heard them perform. He wanted them on the album, got them in the studio relatively quick, and they laid down a track. Sounds like the song that they were playing that became That Was Their Mother was actually just one of their songs that he put different words to. I don't know what the compensation was like, but I know there was a there was some animosity from Good Rock and Dopsy that more recognition or more payment was due. The other the other one, uh, the next track, All Around the World or The Myth of the Fingerprints with Los Lobos. And again, like, I don't know what the compensation was. I don't know if he was being as generous as he was with the South African artists. If he was being as generous as he was, if he was actually paying $200 an hour, uh, which is what he was, he was paying $200 an hour, US dollars, 1986 to when he was in South Africa, which is triple what uh, like New York City top recording uh, studio gun rate would be. If he's still paying that rate with Los Lobos, then I think that Los Lobos don't really have that much of an argument. I think if someone calls you into their studio to record something for that album and is Mm -hmm. paying you well to come in and record something, the product of those recording sessions probably belongs to the person who arranged it, brought the people in. If he's paying them very well hourly, if he's not, and if it's more of like a royalty type of thing, and if they really did kind of in the studio create the sound that became that song, then then they they've got then they've got legit beef. Yeah, I I, I took know? it that way as there should be an uh, you know they should agree on what they want to do. If they're bringing the song in and they're saying okay, he's paying them a rate, and they're like oh well, how about this song? And he says great. They need to stipulate no, that is a song that we have written. If you would like to use that song, we are the writers of that song, but it is written by us. And I think they didn't necessarily, they're, I don't know if they're being naive or whatever, but I think they just kind of went along with it getting their rate and then later realized, wait, we wrote that song. Like that was already a song that we had written and now it's considered written by Paul Simon, which I was, I, you just got to be oh, clear. Go yeah, yeah. I I had the same conversation uh, when I was in the tour van with uh, with uh, Reverend Peyton and the Big Damn Band. We listened to Graceland a lot because we all liked it, and we were talking about because we also like Los Lobos, you know. And Rev, uh, he 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 he's a recording artist. He writes the songs for the band we were touring with. And his opinion was, he's like, okay, so like if John Mellencamp calls me into his studio to record a John Mellencamp album, Rev's like. I'm not going to be bringing my best ideas that I want for me. He's like, if I've got like an idea for a song that I want for me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not offering that one up. And maybe, maybe he's just less naive than Los Lobos was at the time. But uh, yeah, you know, I also, yeah, I don't know what the agreement was behind closed doors. What do you think of that song though? It's not my favorite on the album. I think it's good. I think it's fine. This is the long distance call. The way the camera follows us in slow-mo The way we look to a song The way we look to a distant constellation That's dying in a corner of the sky These are the days of miracle and wonder And don't cry, baby, don't cry 
If I was to put the album in order of favorite song to least favorite song, the ones that he did not record the backings for in South Africa would end up on my lesser favorite ones of the albums. I, I agree with that. Yeah. True. Yep. So what did this sell? Like a billion, trillion, million copies? <laughs> yeah, it really. And if so, why am I not finding it in the dusty bins? Oh, it's. Oh, I've seen it's it in plenty. I, of it's because that. I picked it up, Rob. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. All right. Yeah, it did very well. Um, six sold six million copies worldwide by July of 1987. Wow. So the singles charted better in other countries than they did in the U.S. Like, like this, there was a handful of singles released, and I think they all performed better, like in the U.K. than they did here. Yeah, 150,000 copies in Australia. I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah. But to date, it's uh, sold between 14, 16 million copies. So, uh, in South Africa, it was the best-selling release since Michael Jackson's Thriller, 1982. That's awesome. So, that's saying something, for sure, if you're getting up to Thriller numbers. In South Africa, which, if there's going to be any album that would compete in South Africa with Thriller, I would hope that it's the internationally successful album that featured a lot of South African musicians. Yeah. Singles were You Can Call Me Al, then Graceland, then Boy in the Bubble then Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes, and Under African Skies. That's a really strong lineup for singles. Yeah, it is. Uh, did you guys hear how he, how the seed of the, the, the inception of the seed of the idea to do this project was? It's another kind of, it, it's a little bit shady, just like other things on this album. So Paul Simon was introduced by a, a musician named Heidi Berg, who was at that time a member of the Saturday Night Live band. Uh, as we all know, Paul Simon is no stranger to Saturday Night Live. He's friends with Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels introduced Heidi Berg to Paul Simon because Heidi was trying to, she wanted to get her own uh, recording career going. Mm -hmm. And at that time, Paul Simon was interested in doing some behind the scenes production. So they were talking about like, okay, what do you want this to sound like? What inspires you? And she gave him a cassette tape with like Boyoyo Boys and all this other stuff. And she's like, I kind of want it to sound like this. And Paul Simon's like, that's a great idea. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to be recording my own album and it's going to sound like that. And we'll get back on your, <laughs> that, that they, their working relationship dissolved acrimoniously. <laughs> yeah. I thought, yeah no that, shit. I thought that was like, uh, we'll get into it with Moby in play uh, later on, but that's a, the very similar thing happened uh, with that oh, situation. It? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I want to use all these old blues samples. Yeah. <laughs> Great idea. Hold on. <laughs> Imagine having that kind of fuck you money yeah. that you get a bootleg cassette and you're like, yeah, I guess we're going to go to South Africa and, uh, <laughs> and, and and record all this stuff. Oh, you have a great idea. Hold on, let me yeah, do yeah, it. No fucking shit. So you know, for 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 the Bridge Over Troubled Water album, uh, the song El Condor Pasa was was like a South American traditional folk song that he really liked. I think for that one, he maybe bought the rights to use it. I don't know if he needed to, if it was traditional, but. He arranged the rights to use it, and then he put his own lyrics over it. And his intention was to do that same thing with a Boyoyo Boys song, the song that would become Gumboots. Uh, he wanted to like reach out to whoever owned the rights, arrange, pay him for his permission to use it, and he would just lay some new lyrics over it. I think it was maybe Roy Haley, the engineer on Graceland, 
it might have been his idea or maybe Quincy Jones idea to like actually go a step further than that. Like, why don't you, why don't you go there? Like there's more than the just Boyoyo boys there. There's more songs than just this song. Like explore this a little bit. And, and, and man, what a can of worms that opened. Yeah. You know? I, I, I didn't really think about that until now, but he would have gotten criticized probably four times over if he didn't actually go to South Africa and record the, you know, yeah, the the real elements like if he got oh yeah if he, no, he, if he just got crucified. people from new york studio guns to imitate that music that would have yeah. also been a super big controversy yeah definitely so. uh do you guys uh read any of christ gav's stuff on this i got a little excerpt no, here if not <laughs> yeah he it, it, it's a very long review i just took the snippet that was uh the easiest uh, the singing has lost none of its studied wimpiness uh, <laughs> uh and he still writes like an english major but this is the first album he's ever recorded rhythm tracks first and it gives up a groove so buoyant you could float a loan to zimbabwe on it despite the personalized cameo from sun city scab linda ronstent a slap in the <laughs> face to the anc whether he admits it or not and the avoidance of political lyrics elsewhere he's found his quote shot at redemption unquote escaping alienation without denying its continuing truth it's the rare english major who can make such a claim and he gave it an a minus yeah fair yeah i like that you know it's it's really apparent on this record, but more so like in, in, in Paul Simon's recording career, just the, the focus on rhythm. You know, like I don't know if he got like this is definitely his well, not his first like, uh, El Condor Paso would be his first dipping his toe into world music, but this is definitely his, his first like big push into world music. Uh, it seems to stick with him a little bit after the success of this album. Like he records like Rhythm of the Saints and some other stuff, but as someone who plays rhythm instruments, I think that Paul Simon songs have some of the best drums and the best grooves in the game for, for someone who is classified as like a singer songwriter and like put in, put in those bins with those other recording artists, Paul Simon songs fucking groove. Uh, and often he, he is working with, with uh, world musicians, you know, whether it's South African, whether it's uh, like the Zydeco musicians or I don't know what album like the uh, his track the obvious child is, but he's working with like a whole drum core on, for a pop song on that one. I like drums and bass lines and Paul McCartney songs. Always have. Uh, how do we feel? How do we feel about this album? Um, yeah, it's a it's a positive. Aside from the uh, weird cringy shit with Los Lobos and Linda Ronson, <laughs> I'm I'm on board. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I am too. I'm 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 here for this record. I think it's great. I think this yeah, is this... the last uh, we'll see of Paul. Oh, I'm sorry, Kyle. I was going to say, I like this dorky record. You guys are right. Thumbs up. <laughs> it is dorky. <laughs> it is dorky. Yeah, Maybe it's because I'm soft is... in the middle now. <laughs> <laughs> All of us. When the rest of your life is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is it for Paul Simon. I think we are bidding adieu to the guy. He had a, he had a hell of a run. Yeah. Uh, definitely. If this is the last we're hearing of Paul Simon, out on a high note, out on a swan song. Yeah, he still sure. has good recordings after after this, but man, this is a good one to to end on. I, I love Graceland. Yeah, I really didn't think we needed Heart and Bones. No, 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 but it's kind of nice in retrospect to. I don't think we needed to cover Heart and Bones, but it's nice to kind of 
I don't know, see where he was before this, see why Warner Brothers doesn't care that he's going to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, oh, one, one, I, I don't want to close out without mentioning, I think my favorite track on Graceland is Graceland. I love the song Graceland. Mm-hmm. And I had loved the song Graceland for about 10 years before I realized one of my other favorite recording artists, Everly Brothers, come in on, on, on the, they sing the hook with Paul Simon. And it's so subtle. That like it went for 10 years without me recognizing them there. But then when I read the, the album credits and, and went back into it, now I can't unhear Don and Phil Everly, rest in peace. And like, Graceland, Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. It's so cool. I love the Everly brothers. Yeah. I, I I do love that he he brought in a lot of the artists that, you know, were making that music and he's he's sort of showing you, you know, like traveling all over the places and just doing his Paul Simon thing. I love a good song about a road trip too. Yeah. Also, the first time I heard that lyric, uh, the Mississippi Delta shining like a national guitar was before I was touring with Reverend Peyton, who plays na- national guitars. I didn't, I never understood the lyric because I was like, I guess it's a really shiny wood guitar. Like someone polished it really well, but the, the national guitars, those, those, those steel resonators. Yeah. Brothers you know, in arms. Brothers in arms. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, Oh, the Mississippi Delta can shine like a national guitar. I always thought it was a clunky lyric until I actually knew what he was talking about. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. All right. Next time we'll be talking about Run DMC, Race in Hell. All right. Thanks, y'all. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. Following the river down the highway Through the cradle of the Civil War I'm going to Graceland, Graceland Memphis, Tennessee I'm going to Graceland Poor boys and pilgrims with families And we are going to Graceland And my traveling